0: For September 30th, 2013, it's the Overthinking It Podcast, episode 274 The Panache of a Douche Coup, The Moxie of a Cuthbert. Welcome to the Overthinking It Podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather. This is the second part of our epic two-part fifth anniversary spectacular podcast. Uh, We're going to pick up where we left off with a discussion of the political economy of King Triton's uh, monarchy and uh, talk a little bit now about the rights of crustaceans vis-a-vis the merfolk. With me is Peter Fenzel.
1: King Triton? <laughs> Why wow, he's ruler? Hey, Matt, how's it going?
0: <laughs> it's going very well. <laughs> I um,
2: couldn't send us down that road one more time. Not, yeah. not fully. Not, without apology. We had a. Uh, uh, I really uh, want to know how the how the Kingdom transitions off the seashell, seashell standard, you know, into into the international monetary markets. <laughs> really. You got to watch Mergeist
1: moving forward. It's got all of the it tells you the secret behind the cabal that runs mur currency. <laughs> <laughs> um
2: that
0: was a that was a great episode. Uh I it proved to me guys that we still have it. You know, we still got it that that even with absolutely no topic whatsoever, we can crank out a uh we, we can uh, waste we, everyone's time for an hour. We can waste an hour of entertaining, uh, entertaining radio for <laughs> all people. So thank you for celebrating with us. And we're going to continue our navel-gazing a little bit uh, this week. So, uh, but first, panel, your question is um, in honor of the premiere of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, wh- why don't you pitch us a television show That is uh, uh, Agents of blank um, who, who should have what, what organization should have agents And uh, those agents have A television show Bonus points if it's an acronym But it's not a, it's not a requirement of the puzzle That it be an acronym uh, First in the alphabet Drink because it's not Peter Fenzel It's Matthew Belenke
3: First of all, I just wanted to point out the the galling and nepotism that only King Triton's daughters can get the plum roles in all the new operas that premiere. <laughs> <laughs> that literally, there are all these like mer girls who come out for like whatever whatever the voice is underwater, um, and they just they can't they can't get any any breaks because King Triton apparently only has girls. I don't know I don't know how the genetics I don't know how the gametes work in the mer kingdom, but. <laughs> There's something. There's something going on there. That there's G-flow. a whole
1: bunch of of beheaded mer- queens because King Triton is enraged at their inability to provide a mer son.
2: <laughs> so I mean,
0: is I mean, is who hosts? Is it like Christina Mergulera and Adam Mervine uh, and Mer Shakira, who are like the, the- flow Green? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, Matt, what uh, what uh, organization are you going to step right, up? We're with still
3: doing that, huh? <laughs> <All> right,
0: uh, <laughs> go we well, haven't you stopped. Take, <laughs> you can take it. Actually, this that would be a good trivia question for someone who is a really big fan of. Uh the overthinking a podcast uh who wh- when did we start the question of the week i I'm not sure it was with episode thirteen, but it's a fun it's a fun way to uh to start and to waste twenty sometimes twenty five or thirty minutes of an hour long podcast
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys, so I'm going to go with Asians of spy. Which is, which is a S period, P period, Y period. And it stands for a secret police and then redacted in brackets. And one of the recurring gags of the show is that nobody, nobody knows what the Y stands for. And you have to be like level nine clearance to find out what the Y stands for. But it actually is redacted because I, I don't know a word that starts with Y that would make sense. And, um, and what Agents of Spy is, is, is my, my much longed for as a 12 year old boy, um, spy versus spy TV show. Inspired by Mad Magazine, um, and I know they, they've already they've already sort of piloted this in a way. I believe there was a recurring segment on Mad TV involving Spy versus Spy, but I, I want to expand it. I want to make it an hour long uh, serialized drama. And for those of you who did not uh, read uh, *Spy vs. Spy* under the covers at their, your Jewish sleepaway camp after lights out, uh, it is the story of the black spy and the white spy who fight in, in a never-ending existential battle. And what will generally happen is, like, the white spy will be planning some sort of a death trap or, or scheme to steal, like, a secret plans from a safe of the black spy. And um, but black spy was expecting it all along, and it turns out to be a, 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 a double trap. There's a there's a, a reversal at the end and one of the spies is brutally killed, but comes back to fight another day. Although the the ones that really please me is where there was the, the double twist, where it would seem like White Spy would be like trying to get Black Spy and Black Spy would see it coming and try to deflect it. And it would turn out White Spy knew he was gonna deflect it and White Spy wins after all. And I don't even wanna go into what what would doubtlessly happen in like the Fifth or sixth season of the TV show which is the introduction of the Grey Spy who is the, the femme fatale if you recall who, who uh, that's exists. an
1: actual character in Spy vs. Spy is the do you not
3: remember the Grey Spy?
1: Uh, I, I'm just making sure just making is, sure no, no this is a
3: real thing that there's there's a there's a female spy who's a Grey Spy and I, the, the symbolism of all this I mean if you think about Spy vs. Spy beginning during like the Cold War and being this sort of like Doctor Strange love um you know metaphor of the absurdity of all this, of all this, uh, this espionage and this, this, uh, you know, the ridiculous uh, ballet of statecraft going on at the time. I don't know what the gray female spy represents, except for like the 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 danger of female sexuality. Um, yeah. <laughs> I d- I don't know. You're gonna have to end it in. Um, if anyone knows off the top of their head I believe it's like Sergio Whatever, whoever that Mad Magazine Impresario is that that actually Drew all those for many, many decades Anyway, Agents of agents of Spy And every episode is it, Oh, it, it alternates between black and white uh, That like, you know, one episode will be about the
0: white spies Next will be about the black spies So it's kind of um, the wire It's the kind of the wire of rival spy agencies
3: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say it's the Team Fortress 2 Of rival spy agencies, but the but wire works too you should really watch that show, Matt. I've heard it's worthwhile. You should play <laughs> Team Fortress 2, Matt. Both of those are likely to happen. To
0: team!
3: <laughs> Wait, that is the voice
0: of Peter Fenzel.
1: Ah, uh, rather, you, uh, you are loose cannon, but you're a darn good cop. Uh, sorry, I'll keep, I'll keep quoting keep T-Fortress all day. <laughs> um, uh, so Okay, so I was thinking that you have a show, right? We have a large international logistically supportive organization that's run by kind of like a combination like Davos person, like sort of global business person slash like master criminal uh, that is tasked with both sort of supporting the master criminal's efforts and also... Um, uh, interaction and sort of like dealing with a, a huge cadre of geography and geographically inclined 7th graders uh, and it has been called upon by their bosses to murder said 7th graders and yet at every chance or opportunity uh, deliberately fails out of fondness for the instruction and learning of geography. That's right it's Agents of Vile the Villains International League of Evil from the Carmen San Sandiego uh, oh. video game. Oh, nice. it, <laughs> uh, it always... It always those characters do kind of interest me a little bit. I mean, more the idea of that finding a vile henchman is a sign that things are going well, right? Like that's uh, you know a vile henchman, you must be on the right track, right? <laughs> and so like thus, like the henchman must know what the right track is, right? I mean, they might not necessarily. That's kind of an Aristotelian way of thinking about it, I guess, where it's like right trackness is a quality that's mm-hmm. associated with the agents the of vile. Yes, exactly. But the idea that they're able to somehow mediate their calls from their bosses, presumably to Murder these people that are chasing their bosses, and yet, and yet, fail to do so. Like, fail to yeah. kill the people. Always and by
3: always, trying yeah. to throw like a potted plant from a great height and always missing. Yeah, exactly. Or like, or like
1: throwing a, a really cartoonish theatrical sword, like sort of a kopesh sword or a, or a sort of a cutlass or scimitar of some kind across this across the, the block of, of uh, Budapest, Hungary, yeah, like, very terrible. slowly. Oh yeah, totally, totally. I mean, they just clearly don't have the bloodlust, and yet, also, it, it, imagine there must be a large group of them at the beginning of every mission. Where, you know, oh, we just stole the Eiffel Tower, awesome. And then each successive city that they go to, they have to leave one behind. Right? Like, and they, I guess they leave one behind in the hopes of I suppose murdering the gumshoe that is chasing them, uh, but you get to sort of gauge, I'd like, like to see the conversation at that moment when you know, Carmen Sandiego is setting out and they, the henchmen look around and they're like, alright there are 24 of us, this is going to be a long one <laughs> <Right>? like, <laughs> it's like, oh there's only four of us, I guess the gumshoe chasing us is a fourth grader right? like, um, and it's, there's all sorts of little ins and outs of that sort of lifestyle I feel like it's an opportunity for some character development It's also an acronym, so there you go. Boom. Yeah,
3: although I don't think it counts because the I doesn't stand for anything, does it?
1: Uh, International. Villains International International
3: League of Evil. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: It's not one of those things where they, they wanted you to count the, the V and the I in villains as part of the – so it's not just the Villains League of Evil.
1: No, no, no. Although I also sort of question why they why evil is such a huge part of their name when it appears to be such a small part of their mission. Where their mission <laughs> – like, like they don't, what, are they, what are they doing that's so evil? I mean I guess it is bad to steal a Coliseum. Like that's an evil thing. It's a bad thing to do. But if your main mission is, is evil, it's like I feel like there's a lot of more efficient ways of committing evil than like – Fevery of landmarks. Don't give them
3: my DSP. <laughs> it's like, yeah.
1: you could just release anthrax into the drinking water or something.
2: Suicide bomb vests would not really be appropriate for the, uh, the educational suffer mission <laughs> <and> age range <laughs> yeah. that these, uh, these games were targeted. Like, if you watch my documentary, Carmen Sandiageist
1: Moving Forward, it's all about the secret <laughs> cabal behind the monetary. The Federal Reserve is stealing the Mona Lisa, guys. Alright, you need to understand if you look on the money, it has Illuminati
0: written all over it. Uh, <laughs> (laughs) All right, Mark Lee, next in the alphabet.
2: All right, before I I, I suggest my Agents of Blank TV show, I just want to say how really disappointed I was when I was watching Agents of Shield that the movie didn't talk a lot about Confucian morality and the ascendance of Japan uh, in the early, uh, you know, in the the latter part of the 20th century after the war and now the new rise of uh, 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 Chinese uh, hegemony in the world. You see, with the show title, like Agents of Shield, I really thought I was gonna gonna dwell on these subjects and really go in depth on, you know, uh, the Pacific geopolitics, really. <laughs> I quickly figured out that was not the case. Is that it's not Asians effect. of Shield? Is that what yeah, you're it saying? It yeah. is not Asians of Shield. Take
3: it till sweeps and see what happens.
2: Oh uh, okay, okay. They're really gonna uh pander to yeah. this huge demographic. Like Robert
3: or, Downey or Jr. will show up for five minutes and like explain like the whole the China versus Japan thing. <laughs>
2: Okay, so, yeah, I had to make that really silly wordplay just because, hey, that's what I do here. That's what I'm here for. Um, Agents of Mox. Now, uh, Mox being the in New York City government mayor's office of contracts. This is going to be really inside baseball here because uh, it often seems to me that the mayor's office of contracts, they, they are in charge of uh, you know, registering city contracts and you know sort of allowing them to take effect and for the city to do, pay money to various vendors. Now, the mayor's office of contracts slows this process down and makes it uh, difficult because it's too difficult to the point where it seems like they're screening all these vendors and contracts to make sure that the city of New York is not doing business with nefarious evil organizations and or supervillains. Ooh,
1: like violence. Like, they're not, oh,
2: we're going to buy
1: the Mona Lisa from you
2: with tax money. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or it's like, you know, we're giving out a contract to operate a homeless shelter and to buy a million rolls of toilet paper for the NYPD. Better make sure the file is is getting this this contract. Okay, so that's what it seems like to the uninformed outsider. But this show will pull the curtain back and reveal that, oh, Mox actually is trying to prevent the city of New York from doing business with uh, supervillains and evil organizations. Oh,
3: so, like, what would an average episode be? Is it a lot of just like internet research and spreadsheets?
2: I mean, that's looking like what the front is, right? And so, like, you know, uh, 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 on the outside, it seems like they are just taking their time, like reading over contracts and doing background checks, and things like that. But actually, they're sending um, they're sending agents into various nonprofit organizations' headquarters to make sure they're not fronts for. So, there's
3: know. a lot of like white collar esque uh,
2: schemes. To, you know. uh, yeah, but there's going to be punching and gratuitous sex in yeah. the show as well. Yeah. We'll have it all. <laughs> gratuitous <laughs> sex, punching, and city government. That's, that's Procure- four quadrants as is, far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Procure- so wait, is, it, is, it is it Asians it's, of mocks or agents of mocks? It can be both. Right? We can't get <laughs> <We can't> you <laughs> okay, a yeah. predominantly Asian cast that's going about do, doing, uh, you know, uh, soulless bureaucracy and also the gratuitous sex and punching. I mean, I'm already sold. Yeah, if they can generate an extra
1: mana for zero mana as an artifact on turn one, I'm totally up for it, too. Because that would be Agents of of Mox with an X, but that's different. Wow.
3: (laughs) Hey, can I suggest a a bonus one that I I just thought of that I wanted to slip in? Um, I love J.K. Simmons, who is the the only actor both to play Spider-Man's boss and a a neo-Nazi skinhead on the HBO show Oz. Uh, is terrifying in both roles. In different Other ways.
1: than my mom from Malcolm in the Middle, didn't she do both of those things? Yes, no.
3: <laughs> yes. She, she is, all right, so he's one of only two actors. Um, and I love the Allstate commercials where he plays, like, the the dean, the, the professor of the Allstate insurance agents, and he's, like, trying to give practical advice in sort of an unflappable manner, in you know, with, with like, large-scale replicas of, like, homes to show all the things that could go wrong. Um, and so I would like... I'd love to see an Agents of Allstate... Actually, as long as it's (laughs) Jake Simmons either fighting evil or being like a neo-Nazi.
1: Would it have, like, all of the other insurance commercial characters? Because there's so many of them now. There's the Mayhem, right, which is also a guy from Oz. Wait a minute. How many guys from Oz are in insurance commercials
2: right now? Progressive Flow, which he was also in Oz. That was coming Uh, next The
1: Affleck Duck? I don't want to know. The Affleck Duck threw a jar of AIDS blood in somebody's (laughs) face. (laughs) Affleck,
0: Affleck. Good thing they had health insurance. Uh, all What's right, that
1: thing that happens to you when you're sick—you can't work, and you're thrown naked and screaming into the hole.
0: Affleck, Affleck. <laughs> uh, I, I, mine. I I was a lot more pedestrian when I picked mine Mine is is very simple It's uh, Agents of DMV And it's about people tracking down uh, uh, You know, misdemeanors People who haven't um, Renewed their car registration Or like, you know, paid the the Fines that they uh, That they owe for, you know, I don't know Driving without a license or something Something like that And it's just, uh, I mean, most of the show Is people looking at each other with a bitter expression
2: We would all watch that. <laughs> That's quite entertaining. You have no
0: choice but to watch it every, every, you know, 36 months. You have to go stand for three hours and watch episodes of it.
1: Can the duck be in it? Can the Asian <laughs> duck be in it? Because I'm liking these other ideas. I'm wondering if we can put them on. Greatest <laughs> <laughs> show ever made. Uh,
3: hey, you know who else sells insurance? Is, uh, Is that the dude – all I can think of is Pedro Serrano from Major League. Serrano,
1: what too bad. That's right. (laughs) No, President Palmer. President Palmer. He'll always be –
3: hats for bats. Hats for bats.
1: (laughs) 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 Yeah, so I just – I have IMDb open right now, and I just tried to Google President Serrano. (laughs) That's not in fact – it's President uh, Palmer. Is that – no, they actually only have real presidents that you can Google on IMDb directly okay. or that you can search. It has to be an actual president playing themselves in a movie or something.
0: I see. But yeah. No, De- Dennis, you know. Dennis Haysbert is the actor's there name, right? Go. Yes, yes.
1: He's the poor man's uh, Avery Brooks or maybe the rich man's Avery Brooks or yeah. maybe they're both names.
3: <laughs> That's hard to tell. Uh, I, was, I was a big fan of The Unit. Which oh, was yeah? fun for what it it was like a it was it was like a, a David Mamet show. So it was like you know a, it was supposed to be like an action show where about like this like unit of commandos who would like go in to save the day. But because it was a David Mamet show, they were always trying to pull some really complicated long con. And like Ricky Jay showed up all the time for no reason. Uh, and like William H. Macy was the president. Um.
0: Well, that's
1: yeah. cool. I, the unit is, of course, like, spawned that legendary email, right? It was it an email yes. or was it a letter that, that David Mamet wrote to his writers telling them not to suck? Well,
0: it was that a was memo, just, right? It was a memo. It was a memo about dramatic like writing. Which, caps, is, right? yeah, which is, all, yeah. uh, which is an awesome thing. I don't know if you can Google it. But I, I remember the gist of it was essentially, you know, come into the scene as late as possible and get out as early as possible. And every scene has to have something that, you know, moves the plot forward.
1: I thought the really interesting thing about that letter was where he said that every scene was about one of the characters trying to get something and failing. I thought that was interesting. That the way that the drama moves forward is that a character tries to get something and for some reason either the goalposts move or they can't get it, and that that was that was what drama is, right? right. Uh, let me see if I can memo from the unit, unit memo. I'm really taking a risk.
3: Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think one of the, one of the, yeah, exactly. You know, to say it's already like, no, like an sorry. alarm is going off. And what did we decide that the headquarters needs to look like last week? Or was it
0: two weeks ago? Yeah, so it's basically – it's basically like conflict resolution. It's basically like uh, objective obstacle action stuff, like uh, uh, who wants what? What happens uh, if they don't get it? Why do they need it now? And so you know the, they have a need. The need is why they came, and now I'm quoting from the memo. The need is what the scene's about. Their attempt to get this need uh, met will lead at the end of the scene to failure. This is how the scene is over. It, this failure, will, then, of necessity, and by the way, this is, like, punctuated, so it, comma, this failure, comma, will, comma, then, comma, of necessity, comma, propel us into the next scene. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a little more complicated than that, right? There tends to be a, there tends to be like a large scale need, and then sort of smaller, smaller sub needs along the way that are in service of the larger scale need. But that's that's like this is sort of like Stanislavski for writers.
2: Can I can I just point out that um, we, we found a link to uh, to the text of David Mamet's memo, and it is of all on all, of, on all websites. Uh, on hrexaminer.com. That's as a Human Resources Examiner. I'm not quite sure the connection is between Human it's a, Resources it's a memo. and Drama.
3: If it's a memo, then it belongs on this website. Yeah. <laughs> it goes,
2: his website. My favorite line of this memo, by the way, is, uh,
3: any
1: dickhead as above can write... But Jim, if we don't assassinate the prime minister in the next scene, all Europe will be engulfed in flame. Which I, I feel like I'd watch that show. <laughs> I've actually thought of that line like many times, like in improv shows and whatnot. It's like, <laughs> oh, maybe if I, I don't have faith that people would follow me if I were to go out and
2: read. Just we're talking about HR, human resources, and also about. Uh, TV shows that dramatize the unsung heroes behind the scenes of the sung heroes. We might as well just have the show about the unsung heroes behind the unsung heroes behind the sung heroes, heroes, which is, of course, Agents of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: Agents right? of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agents of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Agents it, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It, it's all Agents
2: of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. All the, agents all the way down. is that what you're saying?
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. it's interesting to think about, right? Like, Agents agency, right, is from the Latin word, uh, ago, agere, right? Or agere, Peter, agare, agare, it must, it must be. Yeah, and it's agos. Yeah, it's third conjugation. Right? Yeah. So, yep. uh, it's, it, it means do, right? It means like, uh, uh, like perform as in perform a task or do as in do, do a deed. So agents are doers, are, are people who are in some sense, delegates of a larger of a larger purpose right so is so agents of shield uh implies that there is a shield uh and the shield has certain objectives the shield has certain aims right um and uh and i'm saying shield as as in like a large piece of metal now and not the strategic homeland etc etc um and uh, and then these people are sort of deputized as doers of the deeds that that shield needs needs done, right? Yeah,
1: I, 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 that does make sense. I, I, I was hearing about a similar. I was reading about a similar situation this week. That's a, a little bit more complicated uh, because I was watching the movie Commando, which, by the way, <laughs> oh, yeah. by the way, like I pay like about what like ninety dollars a month for my phone, and anywhere that I am that I have service, I can watch Commando on my phone whenever I want through Netflix Instant, which is amazing. And I feel like if you're not doing something as good as watching Commando on your phone, you're not getting value.
2: From you know, sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> And you really need to let off some steam,
1: and you can put off <laughs> <steam>. <laughs> <laughs> the best way to yeah. let off steam. Oh man! But so, so the thing, so commando. I, I got to thinking, like, well, what is a commando? Like, what is he in command of? Right? Like, why is it, <laughs> like just not wearing underpants? Like, what is he doing? Uh, and I looked up the history of it on, of course, like Wikipedia, and it turns out I think it goes, it goes back to uh, to the Afrikaner right? Um, which is <laughs> where the commando used to be the unit, right? So, like, agents of Shield. Right where there's a difference between the shield and the agency of the shield, which is like a separate entity with a commando. The commando is both the unit and the member of the units, and the reason it is as such is uh, because the command is entrusted to sort of a militia on a, like a militia basis. It's not strictly reporting into the military hierarchy, so there could be a local infantry battalion or regiment that's you know part of like an Afrikaner you know kind of uh, asymmetrical regiment of some sort in like a relative less uh you know colonialist like relatively more kind of locally based cell based kind of uh, military but yeah and then so like so the command the commando has a has a commandant right so the commandant is the head of the commando uh but now we have commando which is somebody who can stand next to a pool with a machine gun and kill 30 people trying to shoot him at the same time without flinching but uh i don't know i just thought it was interesting because there's not a separation with commando between the leader of the unit and the unit itself which i think the movie does communicate effectively uh although i doubt that it's what it's trying to do um
0: <laughs> it's a great yeah, one of the one of the great functions of of american film is to cut out bureaucracy
1: yeah so you're gonna cut all the red tape by going to a hollywood studio that's sort of the way that it
0: works <laughs> you want to eliminate the middleman, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did make me think a little bit about, like, what is the – what's the moral of the story of the movie Commando, right? Where you it's just like
3: – steal Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter if you can I mean, like, is
1: it? it is it that specific of a warning? Because that's a very specific <laughs> the,
3: warning. The guy – the bad guy in True <laughs> Lie should have watched that movie to prepare <laughs> before he stole Elijah
1: yeah there's a lot there's a lot of people who could have learned if it's like is it really that getting your daughter stolen gives you superpowers because that's kind of twisted is it like like,
3: even before his daughter was stolen we saw him pick up like a giant that that movie has the greatest beginning credits of all where it's like (laughs) it's like alternating shots of him lifting improbably heavy things with shots of him like frolicking with his teenage daughter and like they like (laughs) splash each other with water. it's it's really is it just me or is it weird
1: no, it's 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 funny. At one point, they feed a deer. Like they have. Yeah, like actually, that
3: shows up. <laughs> it's it's almost like they got a bunch of like Saturday Night Live writers to sit around in a room and like like uh like come up with the most comically sort of bucolic shots that they could possibly come up with to make it clear that like everybody is so so happy yeah
1: and like the cold open of it which comes right before this sort of I, I described it as a Poconos commercial while I was watching it where it's like oh you can dance along the rocks and you can fish and you can feed a deer and do all these things a beautiful Mount Airy Lodge all you have to bring <laughs> is your love of everything uh anybody beautiful Mount Airy Lodge <laughs> somebody I watched Price is Right as a child I don't know if you in the New York area New Jersey area I don't know if you guys did
3: it was just Bob's Discount Furniture where I i
1: am oh that's a shame because like i learned all about this like weird place where like middle-aged single people which apparently existed though i never met them in my life as a child
3: well you will Pete. Uh, <laughs> <they> would, <laughs> they
1: go to like drink wine together and wear sweaters around their necks um but yeah but it started the cold open is like a, a garbage truck it's like a shot of a garbage truck and i was like wow this is, this is uh this is elite stuff and then like it's a, a guy gets out of bed with his like all made up 80s Permed out wife and goes out and is like, uh, it's like, oh, you missed me garbage guys just have Uzis and just murder him. <laughs> it's like, no, they didn't miss him. They hit him. And then it's like, eh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's carrying a tree. Anyway, enough about recounting the events and images of Commando. I feel like we're losing losing, <laughs> losing we're losing the laser focused topic of this <laughs> podcast.
0: Uh, <laughs> back, to, uh, back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I suppose. Yeah,
1: which is back to like the names of people who serve in military or institutional service groups and their relative level of independence and ability to affect change within those groups such as but not limited to the New York City government and the Marvel were universe so agents of shield so who saw it who'd watch the agents of shield you know
0: there's a there's a great moment in antony and cleopatra shakespeare's uh, great late tragedy where um, and it bears a, it bears on this discussion which is why i bring it up where antony who is I, presented.
1: That's so that's a terrible reason to bring
0: out that. <laughs> <laughs> uh in which Anthony, who is presented in that um uh, in that play, as kind of a bungler, but a man's man. You know, there's there's all this stuff in Antony and Cleopatra about like, man, weren't times good when we were when the like the Roman legion was on the march and we were drinking urine because we you know were crossing it's, it's the Alps before whose we... play, right? <laughs> well, yeah, totally. Um, for Antony, anyway, but he complains for... about Caesar, who is not a man's man. Um, like him. And he's talking he's talking about uh uh Augustus. He's talking about uh uh Augustus Caesar, Octavian in uh Julius Caesar, in the play Julius Caesar, I mean. Um and he says, uh Caesar, um, you know, we were out there, you know, uh bros before hoes, you know, doing great deeds of, of strength. Um and uh, uh and Caesar dealt in lieutenantry. And uh I had a uh a college professor once asked a whole class if we knew what the word lieutenant meant in French. Um, and it's, it, no one knew at the time. And it's a placeholder, right? Uh, lou, as in in lieu of, in place of. So lou means place. And tenant, as in the tenant in an apartment. A lieutenant is a placeholder, right? Is Is an agent. Is someone who, you know, who is not, who is not the guy. I mean, I think, I don't know, in in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think it's kind of important that, like, none of these people is the guy. Um, because it's a Joss Whedon show, there's a great deal of, like, paranoia and ulteriority uh, at play at all times, um, whether it's a kind of supernatural ulteriority as in Buffy, or whether it's a technological and kind of capitalist ulteriority as in Dollhouse. Here, it's a, it's a sort of governmental ulteriority. It's a sort of NSA like I think, uh, ulteriority, um, because the you know the world is stranger than people are really ready for, and so sort of like children, secrets have to be kept from. Uh, kept from the citizenry, kept from the the populace, and and so there is this sort of there is this intention, and uh, and then there are agents who are who are doers, who are lieutenants, placeholders, who carry out this intention, and it's you know it's sort of interesting, it's it's kind of Thomas Pinchonian, right? Like yeah. or I guess in a sense, because what is this what is this agency, right? That that the agents are agents of.
2: So I mostly agree with you on that, Matt. Uh, so I saw the, the the pilot episode as well. Um, in that, like, there's no guy there in the sense that the guy in the case of Shield was by and large Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, right, who's the leader of the organization and seems to, uh, you know, set the agenda for it. And, and we've talked before, you know, in the context of the Avengers about how it's very unclear. So, you know where Shield is getting its orders from and who they're accountable to and all this sort of stuff. I think we need, We can come back to that later. But my point right here now is that. Um. Yeah. So Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury isn't around, but uh, Clark Gregg, um, Coulson is right. And in some ways, like you know, they are the uh, they are responding. People are taking orders from Coulson. Coulson uh, in, in is often seen as having an agenda, which he doesn't fully reveal to the rest of his subordinates. Right. It's particularly revealed in the scene where he uh, sticks his own agent with the true serum. Right. Um, so uh, basically what, what i'm saying here is that you, you know that sort of uh, big guy out there is is sort of present in colson
0: Yeah, Coulson is like a shrink who is not particularly doctrinaire, like doesn't follow a particular school of training, but like is a very good clinician, right? Like Coulson has good instincts, right? Like and he's he's very astute about the psychologies of his, uh, you know, of his charges and sort of knows what they need kind of better than better than they do in fact he is like he is like he stands in relationship to his team as you know daddy government right as a paternalistic uh secret keeping government stands in relation to
2: a populace or as nick fury stood in relation to the to the avengers well yeah sure i so mean it's like a father knows best situation well
0: a little bit like uh you know i don't know father uh, father, government knows best. I'm just saying, show me the birth certificate, Pete. But the hmm. the thing about um, uh, Shield
1: guys moving forward, <laughs> learn about the cabal that's running the government.
0: Never mind. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> so right, anyway. So this television, which is like protocol of the elders of Marvel, is oh, no. <laughs> too soon. Um. This right, this television show—it's funny because there are like—it's clear that there are, and it being it being a bureaucracy, right? There there are like levels, you know. You attain, um, as in Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, or any role playing game worth its salt, you like get experience points and then sort of level up. And uh, so the idea is like, well, the Avengers don't know about the Agents of Shield, and it's like, well, they're not level seven. And there's also a point. Spoilers, by the way. I mean, I don't know, minor spoilers for Agents of Shield uh,
1: for like the first episode of Agents of Shield. Yeah, like like. Ah, darn
0: it. Yeah, and by <laughs> the way, uh, spoilers for the spoilers. The show is, as everyone has said, very procedural. So it's not like it. It seems like that the there's going to be a big kind of like mission of the week dynamic to the show, and then a larger mythology that sort of X Files like um, gets gets unravelled or say
1: Dollhouse like. Like, right, <laughs> I
0: guess so. Sorry. I don't know. Yes. Soon?
1: I actually never saw that show, like many people, which was why it's not on television anymore. But uh, is it? I, I, I never mind. I'll, I'll back off because I didn't watch it. So I'll let the people actually saw it talk about it. I don't know. Like, we should. I mean, I break. guess
0: this could be. This could become the Joss Whedon podcast, right? But that would that would deliver hate mail. Email Pete if you don't like what I say about um, mm. about Joss Whedon, please. <laughs> uh yeah uh oh i don't know i lost uh i lost track yeah agents of shield oh it's it's clear that something is going on with agent agent colson that even he is not aware of and it has to do with the fact that he got shot uh in the avengers
2: film yep and, 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 he, and he's he's back he thinks he's uh he basically wants a physical intense physical therapy but something else happened no. Is it a prequel?
0: Oh, I thought it was a prequel. No, no it's no. not. It is it takes place subsequent in the in the current car- continuity of Marvel films and now television, I guess. It is subsequent to the Avengers movie. So it's a world that is um kind of overtaken with terror after what gets called the Battle of New York.
2: Yeah. The movie is the movie is in a world where everybody's very aware of superheroes um, and, uh, and this, I think, is very much the project of the show is talking about um, uh, talking about this world. Um, it, it, it it carries over into the way that the the, the characters are also very self aware of not self aware, very aware of pop culture and make pop culture references. In fact, I think that's basically what the article we have on the site about Agents of Shield is is about. Um, but I, I wanted to bring this up because uh, there's a very curious reference to of all things, uh, Terminator. <laughs> in in the first episode of Agents of Shield. Um somebody refers to a particularly the sort of the straight guy, the, the stiff um uh, bureaucratic one of the stiffer bureaucratic guys as the T one thousand in this. And um I, I was I was taken aback by it. I'm not gonna lie. I appreciated it, sure. Like, I you mean, know, they're pandering to me, you know, that the, the that that coveted uh, you know, what, twenty-four to thirty-six uh year old uh Terminator two fan audience um, but hey, it also made me think like, well, the T1000 hasn't really been relevant in pop culture uh, for what, I don't know, 15 years or so mm-hmm. at this point. What is this reference doing here?
1: Yeah, I mean, and is he even moving with sort of liquid precision and less sort of like uh, sabine?
2: Is that the word I'm looking for? No, uh, it, it, like he's a- T1000 like mostly just in his lack of emotions, I think, oh, facial expressions. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So he's
1: sort of like. So is he? Is there going to be an issue where pop culture references in these Joss Whedon things are not going to age? They're going to just stay where they are, um, and so it'll be sort of like for like our our kids. It'll be like watching Hogan's Heroes, where it's like mm-hmm. it, it's like it was funny for them, but there's certain things that are just never going to quite match up because it was so in the moment. Um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe F Troop was more like that, but I guess they didn't well, make a
2: lot what's happening here is that uh, we, sort of this, um, what, uh, what do you call it, Generation X, Generation I, millennial generation, right? We are of the age now where we are becoming the prime consumers of pop culture products, and we're also having kids um, that we are taking to the movies, right? So uh, we, we talked to this one on the podcast, right? Um, culture producers are targeting us, Right now, they are targeting targeting our sense of nostalgia right now, which is why we have Transformers movies, we have Battleship movies, and presumably, which is why a show that's on ABC right now is making a reference to uh, to Terminator 2, which came out in 1991.
3: Right, right. I want to know at what point somebody in a Joss Whedon show will make a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting question. Like Joss obviously known for, uh, for lack of a better term, I'm going to say, girl power, uh, having very strong female leads for his shows. Um, most recently, Dollhouse, uh, with mixed success. Um, so I'm curious. Like Agents of Shield, are there any uh, strong sort of Buffy esque
0: characters? Well, I... oh god, not clear I, don't, yet? I, don't, I don't even want to open this can of worms. Oh boy, um,
1: is it like is it that bad in the show or?
0: Well, you no, just don't it's, want not, to talk it's about. not. There is, there is a, um, I mean, there is a quote-unquote strong female character, but she is not a and strong character female. Uh, gotcha. At least as far as I'm gotcha. concerned.
3: I mean, it's uh, been one episode, so she may, she may have all sorts of rich, textured backstory that you just don't know about yet. So yeah. she's
0: sort of of the
1: school of sexy competent,
2: but not the school of interesting?
0: yes that 's actually
1: right. Matt.
2: are you referring to the Asian of shield by the way
0: yes <laughs> the no, Asian no of, the Asian of no, S.H.I.E.L.D. no no, no, not the Asian of shield i actually I actually like her i don 't know it's, I, I mean it 's funny i go like I actually go kind of on my uh, on my kind of gut impression of the actors rather than uh, my sense of the writing, which I suppose is not the most intellectually interesting way to do it, but it's I don't know, it's the way I, I watch television. And and uh she, and I'm gonna look up uh the actress's name, um the Asian of SHIELD, uh is, I think, awesome and has a really, you know, I don't know, has a really cool um uh, I don't know, has a really cool uh thing. Uh Ming Na Wen is the name of the actress who plays Melinda May uh, who, who I think is cool. But Chloe Bennett, whose character's name is Skye, um, and whose uh, uh, previous television credits include, I guess, seven episodes on Nashville. And Nashville and S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, are her whole uh, uh, television uh, commercials, though apparently she's represented by CAA, which makes me feel really great about my master's degree in acting. Uh the the um I guess she's a singer. Uh just doesn't I don't know, doesn't have the doesn't have the, the panache of a douche coup, you know.
1: <laughs> That's a high order of panache. Although I often, I also, I often uh, confuse it with the moxie of a Cuthbert. Uh, I don't
0: know. <laughs> I'm sorry. A, a Cuthbert and a doucheku are not even in the same league as. Uh...
3: It's like a Lewis Carroll poem. All of
1: a sudden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the Cuthbert and the doucheku went to sea in a beautiful, bright green boat.
3: <laughs> I would <laughs> actually watch that show. <laughs>
1: Oh man! So wait, so it just seems to me like it seems to me from hearing you guys that Agents of Shield has failed to capture your imagination in a compelling way. Because uh, normally we, when I see it, watch a show, even when it's bad, if I'm excited about it, if it's captured my attention, I can talk about it as long as I need to. Maybe that's just because I'm you know a busybody who likes to listen to the sound of my own voice. But uh, but is it? It seems like we're having difficulty even drawing conversation out of this show. Is it just not that textured or interesting?
0: Yeah, it didn't. I don't know. Uh, yes, it is not that textured or, or interesting, though the score by Emmy Award winning composer Bear McCreary is uh, <laughs> is excellent. Textured and interesting.
2: friend of the podcast, he's been on this podcast, where we're talking about his score to Terminator, Terror Chronicles. <laughs> look at me, let's look at these Terminator references to this show. Oh, mm. This is fantastic. Uh,
1: the score of Commando, by the way, by James Horner. Uh,
2: and it
1: boasts a large amount of ominous, evil steel drum work. <laughs> it's like oh, oh we've yes, got,
2: steel yeah, steel drums.
1: It's like evil steel it drums. So exotic. Like- you. Yeah. I, can't even, so, I can't even talk about that. Al- yeah, I mean,
0: is there even really another kind of steel drum than Eva? Yes,
1: festive, margarita-drinking steel drum. <laughs> oh, we're like, shit. hey, everybody, <laughs> we're having a break from work, and we're going to go outside and have a sandwich, and it's going to be Cuban, sort of, and there's going to be steel drum music. You'll be
3: falling in love to the rhythm of a steel drum band way down <laughs> way down in Kokomo.
2: Oh, indeed, indeed. Uh, so, uh, I, lo- I would love to keep talking about steel drums, but just very quickly, back to... Um, Back to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., my major impression of the show is that I was trying way too hard. It was cramming way too much stuff into it. And by stuff, I mean callbacks to the larger Marvel universe, um, cool things for each character to do without like explaining why they're doing them. Um, yeah, those are sort of the main things that, that, that I get from it. And that, like, the. the also, like, some weird, like, uh, sociopolitical commentary. Um, about how this guy who was like down and out, can't get any work, is it, it, and, and sort of becomes a, is about to become a supervillain. Like he's 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 in some ways a victim of his circumstances and these sort of things. Uh, it, it was all too much to process. I didn't give any time to uh, to sit and, and soak in on these things. Uh, I, I contrast that with um, a 22-minute sitcom, uh, which which was on Fox, 20, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Which I, I thought actually did a great job of coming straight out of the gate, uh, introducing his characters in a compelling way, giving them interesting things to do, explaining them, uh, and 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 setting them off into a direction which which would be compelling uh, without being a complete sort of jammed in mess, which I felt like Agents of the Shield was. And we'll be talking more about Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I feel like, in the future. Um, Jordan Stokes has a post coming up, coming up on the site about it this week, and uh, I'm certainly planning on watching it every week, so stay tuned for more on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But I don't think anybody else on this podcast has seen that, so um, we should go back to start talking about steel drums.
0: I just thought it was <laughs> well, part of the intensely self-regarding New York echo chamber that you all live in, you New Yorkers.
3: I can't, oh, yes, I so. can't hear you. It's echoing too loudly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, what's it like living in New York? I mean, I left New York to, at this point seven or eight years ago. Well, how's it changed, guys? What's it like? You guys are there together, right? You're in person with each other. Like, you yeah, hold- God,
0: how is it? What What is it like not to be able to smoke in bars? <laughs> uh, I can't. Pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, it's
3: actually great. I highly recommend it to the rest of the country. Did you smoke in bars in Los Angeles, man?
0: No, absolutely not. We did that oh. first because we are, <laughs> of course, the bleeding edge. We're taking credit for it, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. That's how New York works. Like, oh, guys. Get in there, California. You don't mind if we take it,
1: guys. I think it's time. <laughs> what time it is? What time is it, Pete? Time for the topic of the podcast, <laughs> which is horse ebooks. We're going to talk
0: about horse ebooks. Right. So for the fifth <laughs> anniversary, we wanted to reveal <laughs> that this podcast is actually an elaborate performance art piece by computers
1: thank you <laughs> i would like to thank my thesis advisor
0: <laughs> one one zero 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 one one zero zero one zero zero
1: down up cup and chip who help me with my robot coffee every morning i hope to get a job with them after i finish my master's degree
0: <laughs> oh that's um, dark that's,
1: rude. that's dark and rude and also not fair that's can i just can i can i vent for a little bit about just a tiny second about this whole like english majors can't get jobs thing Pete, can i totally can i
0: can i stop you yeah,
2: sure.
1: <laughs>
0: no, okay, could you know, I could I stop you? I couldn't stop you if I tried is my point.
1: I just i'm just i don 't know I mean i 've seen lists that say that English majors get have about the medium chance of getting jobs and, and money after college as everybody else, and this idea that if you have an arts degree you can't get a job is nonsense like that i mean it 's hard to get a job for everybody it's not like i mean yes if you 're a chemical engineer then it's going to be a little bit easier, but the idea that everyone who goes to college could be a chemical engineer is patently absurd and the, and yes, if you get a degree in the liberal arts, you may not necessarily get the job that you want, but it 's very possible to get a job or jobs you know like I't I no, it's just I hate. I think I feel like the demonization of the study of the humanities by this sort of like labor reallocation movement is 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 cruel and unnecessary and 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 mean. Like I'm personally offended by it a little bit as somebody. Well, I
3: mean, as part of this whole, I don't want to say demonization, but this idea that like not everybody should go to college and that maybe too many people are, and there needs to be sort of this anti-college backlash. That it's, like, a waste of time and money and, and people would be better off, like, learning to fix air conditioners, which is always a useful skill, you know, come July.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, like, then you got to make sure that the unions are still there when the people get out and who gets a union card and all that other stuff. I mean, yeah, it's remunerative work, but only because it's organized, only because there's not a vast surplus of air conditioning repair people. So- if everybody went to air conditioning repair school, then people may- repair air conditioners wouldn't make any money. Uh, they make less money than people with college degrees. But, I mean, I don't know. Zeitgeist. So, so Pete, your
2: defense of the liberal arts, uh, you know, <laughs> against, <laughs> against, the, against the, you know, the more scientific fields is, is actually perm- – in line with what we're talking about with horse ebooks right and that like all this whole time we thought that uh, the technical algorithm was spitting out these uh, zen coens and beautiful bon mots uh into our twitter feeds when in reality it was uh, a man of the letters a man of the arts uh, yes an employee of buzzfeed who was writing these things himself the whole time exactly
1: it's like like people like what can you do with the study of postmodernism and literary theory and uh, the answer is rule the world that's what you can do is you can control it for people and you can rule the world that's what the movies
2: like? Right, okay, guys, what it's all about? Okay, okay hold disappear. on a second. A second, a second. Okay, let, let, let's, let's stop. A second. Hold the horses. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Okay. We're talking about something that a huge revelation in the Twitter sphere. Which, it, honestly, God, it had me floored when, when when it came out. Like I I I, I couldn't One function properly up. for you a solid out. hour or so. Right, you were heaved <laughs> onto the turf but, from your saddle. But but what we're talking about here. Um, I don't know. Pete, do you want to set the stage for this? Like, give all the proper context for this? Or, or, or should I... Should I? Uh, so? sure.
1: In a world where Twitter yes. is
2: mostly not real people, one account... Okay, the, the, no, the real context, the first <laughs> piece of context I'm set up, we're talking about this Twitter phenomenon, and I think, um, according to the last Pew Research poll, like, one out of ten Americans is active on Twitter, maybe. Right? If that many. Okay. So, and in this elite cadre of Americans who are, like... Or active on Twitter, there's a smaller elite cadre of Americans who uh, follow these crazy inside jokes on Twitter, one of which was Horse Ebooks.
3: Yeah. Yes. I mean, you want to talk about the New York Echo Chamber? And like this, the revelation about horse ebooks is <laughs> is really like it's only a revelation if you if you know what the hell we're talking about.
1: So okay, I'll tell you. Want me to explain what it is? Yeah, yeah, take it Pete. So there was a Twitter account called Horse Ebooks that would post, and this was actually what it did for a while. It would post random snippets from books, just like randomly generated text, and a machine actually did it.
3: Not, I think right. it's, it's crucial to say not about horses. Not about horses. No,
1: and it was connected. I mean, and it was trying to. To actually, get you to click on links and sell uh, that was selling books. Is that what the spam
2: bot yeah, was? Yeah, I was actually trying to um, direct people back to like a Twitter account. Itself were in the bio or in the bio website thing it 's directed to a website which is actually selling horse ebooks
1: right, and so these snippets were sort of da da and kind of interesting in a weird kind of deconstructionist kind of way um, and then, at a certain point, how what about a, four four years ago at this point, three years ago at this point, uh, some dudes bought this Twitter account and and converted it from a spam bot into something that they themselves would program manually like that they would tweet from manually. And would change it into sort of like vague aphorisms and like uh, you know, artistic statements meant to imitate randomly and procedurally generated text. Right, like, and that, and they made this as an art experiment, and it went on for years, right? And people kept thinking it was the machine that was generating these things at random, and people were buying T-shirts, and people were joking about it. When it was really this like guy from BuzzFeed and this other dude from this other place, uh, I forget what it's called, but I have all I have like six links from it. Open. There's
3: something really galling about the fact that BuzzFeed is even tangentially related to this. It's like it would be just one thing if it's like some random guy bought it and he's been maintaining it as a labor of love. And even though this is just to be clear, it's not like an official BuzzFeed. Project. They're not doing this on the clock, as far as we know. But just the fact that there is somebody from BuzzFeed who's behind this really sullies. Makes me feel dirty. Yeah. Now, why do you think that is? Well, I mean- because yeah, BuzzFeed represents everything that's. I don't want to say everything that's bad about the internet because there's really bad stuff about the <laughs> internet. <laughs> Like really, much worse than anything like you know, like the 10. I'm trying to go up with like your 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 average clickbait. Like, I can't stop watching this weird video of a horse. No, 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 no,
2: no, no, it's got to have a number in it, right? So, yeah. 37 reasons why so, I can't stop, I can't watching, stop this watching this, watching video this about weird video about a horse.
0: Yeah, in the 90s. Yeah, in the 90s, right. So, <laughs> you were going to talk about like aspects of 4chanic discourse that are, you know, I don't know, really awful.
3: No, yeah, I mean, like, that's oh, I guess maybe maybe if it was like a 4chan prank, that would make me feel worse. Actually, that made me feel better about 4chan, because 4chan is known for these like very blunt, just sort of like let's let's ruin this person's life just
0: to prove that we can.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and by I the way, be I'd like about to, it, I'd, like to about-
0: I'd, I'd like to compliment our overlords uh, from 4chan yeah. on their awesome power. Exactly. And it's say like talking that-
3: about like the Candyman. Like if if you talk about it too much, they'll just show up behind you. And like and like ruin your, your credit history. <laughs> Can we
1: agree that 4chan is more evil than vile? Is that <laughs> like, <laughs> like, the, the like you know, assassinating the character of a fifteen year old boy because of a stupid picture you found of him on the internet is worse than stealing the Mona Lisa? I guess maybe it's not. It's more evil than because the Mona Lisa is a thing that you would want to have. If people didn't think that people normal people the reason the Mona Lisa is surrounded by security is because you think a normal person would generally want to steal it because it's valuable,
3: right? Well, well, Therefore, it's not valuable at all because you can't sell it.
1: Uh, I, I guess the Mona Lisa in particular. I mean, not, here in Boston we have the Isabella Stewart Gardner with the Rembrandts that were stolen. But we're getting away from
2: okay. speaking of Rembrandt's horse ebooks. Yeah, around, for and just, I'm gonna read the top five horse ebooks tweets according to okay. Favestar. It's just for people who really are coming into this cold. So I have no these, idea what we're talking about. These are favorites
3: about. by just retweets?
2: Yeah, the count up by retweets and, and favorites, you know, the, the starring that you do on Twitter. Okay, number one. Everything happens so much. Number two. As you might know, I am full-time internet. Dear reader, you are reading. <laughs> Crying is great exercise. And number five, some people think French kissing is no big deal. It's just like a regular kiss, but with a little added tongue action. That's dead wrong. Those are the top five horse ebook book tweets. That's a pretty good sampling of what uh, this is all about. And uh, if you see the odd appeal... Of this, like when you, you think it's coming from a spam bot and you get these right. sort of weird pearls of wisdom, like everything happens so much, you can understand the appeal of that, right?
3: Right. And, Part of the appeal is that the just not the words, but the idea that it's being generated via – it's the ghost in the machine, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah.
2: yeah. Uh, right, right, right. And then
3: if it's just a person like writing these data sayings, it's not – I mean they, they might still be – Funny in a certain mindset, but it's definitely some of the specialness is leached out of it. And I mean, if you
2: want a person running Dada's things, you just follow Kanye West on Twitter, right? That's I mean, like true. that is special in some way, but not in, like I don't know. Is there a ghost in the machine of Kanye West too? Is it, 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 it's, it's it's at this point I'm willing to believe anything. Now that Kanye West to be is, to be. is a machine, yes.
1: And look, can we also say how like the way in which this is buzzfed fed does get in the way of it being Dada? Right, like, and like, because uh, as you're reading those tweets, I'm just thinking about how they don't, in the context that we're understanding them now, as being posted by a creative director who specializes in getting people to click on garbage, right? right like, those and those don't really feel like the sort of disjointed, taken out of context, procedurally generated kinds of strips of text that you would expect a machine to generate. They feel Uh, That they've been syntactically constructed right? And they feel like they've been They've had a mystery hung over them a little bit Like deliberately, right? But I mean it feels that way because of the context That we now understand them in It's possible that people in the past because, Because Dada is about tearing these things apart Right like when you talk about why it was Dada and, and Matt, maybe you can correct me on this uh, because maybe my, my understanding of Dada is a little bit sh- shaky, but the idea is that it comes out of World War I and it's, it's like you know all of this stuff that we've built around, all these, these um, different sorts of graphics and symbols and, and uh, things that we use to visually understand the world can I, I need to be destroyed and obliterated and Dada is work that that creates confounding images and constructions that kind of destroys this sense of like the bourgeois. Symbolism of meaning, right? Which is like if if you you could think of worse things to call Buzzfeed than the bourgeois symbolism of meaning, (laughs) right? Like which is, like Buzzfeed is exactly what Dada rose up to destroy. Uh, You know, it's, it's just and like Dada and Dada is supposed to be what the hobby horse, right? I have the I have like the Wikipedia open now, and I'm like scrolling through it to make sure I corroborate what I remember of it. But yeah, but it's um they put a knife into into the dictionary and it landed on hobby horse. You know, and that was how they came up with the word dada, right? So the word dada came about in very much the same way that horse ebooks is supposedly came out. And is about a horse. So it all comes together. Right. But but it sees as being dada when it's being put together in order to inspire people or create that sense of bourgeois meaning that keep makes people comfortable. Right? Like then it's no longer the the same project as people Believed it was, and of course, oh well. What's the intentionality? The author is dead. It doesn't matter, right? Like, well, that's another question. Um, I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff here about like, what is it? Was it? Was it still doing what it was? Does does it retroactively? do we retroactively realize that Horsey eBooks was not doing the thing that it said that it was doing because of the new context that we understand it in? Does that sort of instantly revise because so much of it was context dependent? So much of understanding what Horsey eBooks was doing was dependent upon the context of understanding it as procedurally generated. Yeah, and if no, you I think go back, it's
3: absolutely true. I mean, yeah. it's it's the stupid, uh, it's the mechanical Turk, right? yeah. You know, yeah, it's yeah. the infamous sort of chess playing robot that in fact was like a guy hidden inside the chessboard playing the chess and it becomes instantly banal when you find that out it's uh, the remarkable thing is that like an artificial intelligence or, or a series of sort of like cold mechanical processes could produce something beautiful and meaningful uh, either like a beautifully played game of chess or uh, as you might know I am a full time internet. Um and that like if it just turns out to be like a guy who's like a full time sort of copywriter just like throwing throwing spitballs at the wall and seeing what sticks, um, just so that like he could he could sort of parlay that that fifteen minutes of fame into whatever Bear Stern's Bravo turns out to be, it just it it's another it's another just internet uh, flash in the pan gimmick
1: yeah I mean I think that this this raises a, a further question that's you know I think that addresses issues terminatory right since Mark loves the Terminator stuff so much where it's like <laughs> there 's this idea that the technology around us and this sort of systematic institutional ways that we interact with people through technology there 's this idea that like most of it is automated, whereas like a great deal of what we do, even when it 's partially automated, is still really reliant on a vast array of very of very cheap labor right and of like people just like hammering away at various sorts of inputs like
3: for instance right, the like, amazon version of mechanical turk
1: yeah yeah exactly okay yeah exactly that's perfect where we think of amazon as this sort of like machine in a box that spits you out a uh, spits you out a copy of of a naruto video game or whatever but in fact is like a whole bunch of people Right, like of real people that you know you might have gone to see at a store, but now you you know now they interact with you from underneath this table. I guess is if they're if we're holding the Mechanical Turk thing, they're inside of a box with a weird orientalized head on top. That's that's what they're doing if they're like the Mechanical Turk. Uh, maybe that takes the metaphor a little bit too far, but um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's like uh, you know who are who are the smir- the doozers. Right. Who are behind mm-hmm. this giant fraggle rock that we all live in uh, <laughs> is, is kind of the question from one of the questions for me. I mean, I see this all the time because, you know, I work for a large financial institution, which has a lot of functions that people assume are automated, but are, are carried out by a lot of people, you know, like and there are a lot of you know people checking to make sure that your credit card isn't being defrauded like all the time and you're never aware of it, like stuff like that, um, which, you know. And then you become aware of the if you do become aware of the huge scope of the people working on it, it sort of changes the context of understanding everything that happens. I mean,
3: it is interesting there are a lot of processes in our daily lives where you used to have to interact with people. Something as simple as like ordering a takeout meal, they used to have yeah. to call somebody and have a conversation with them about what food you wanted them to make for you. And now yeah. you go on a website and you like fill out a series of drop down menus, and yeah. the food shows up. And it's 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 you can easily imagine some sort of a, a Pee Wee Herman esque breakfast machine that just yeah. assembles the food based on the, your 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 Scantron bubble sheet that you filled out on the web, and and you feel like somebody's working very hard to eliminate the delivery boy who has to bring it to you and just literally have it come through a pneumatic tube in your apartment. Oh, like, drones!
2: Like you know, drones that will deliver tacos. Like that's my that's my dream of the future. Taco <laughs> drones? Taco drone. Yeah. Taco
3: drone.
1: Agents of taco drone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you sort of wonder. It's like I don't know what the horse ebook people. I know there was a press conference that I did not pay attention to, um, but like what they had to say about the whole. Like why. Why did they do it did they just do it as like a prep just to see if they could or do were they trying to say something about how things that we assume that are automated um are in fact like they're are you know the surf labor going on behind the scenes that you know makes the internet run little hamsters on little wheels somewhere
1: well the when they announced it they were announcing it in uh in conjunction with this whole I don't even want to name its name because I feel like it doesn't deserve to be promoted by us. But this like this video thing that they're doing, which is supposed to be the next big thing, which I have no reason to believe is the next big thing, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about?
3: Say it's the next big thing, then you're probably wrong.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like the so it's called Bear Stearns Bravo, and I never want to repeat that name because they don't deserve it to be promoted because they're jerks. I'm sorry. I do I do know Gabby Dunn personally, and she was one of the the bloggers who was kind of messed with by them when she she figured out who they were through 4chan and uh, and them like months ago but then they they sort of read her a sob story about why she couldn't reveal them and promised her like special uh, access when they were ready to do the big reveal and then screwed her at the end of it and well, she wrote a whole I'm bunch just, of
3: stuff I, about uh, it we don't to really go into it but i'm just curious like what could they possibly say to guilt somebody into not revealing that horse ebooks is it's it's not like it was it would ruin them yeah I mean, <laughs>
1: well they, they said could... it would ruin them they said they were in debt like forty five thousand dollars and then and, and they're only
3: I'm just trying to think of like like a plot for like a hilarious sort of like uh like Seth Rogan comedy where your only way to get out of debt to the mafia is to pretend to be a spam bot. And like <laughs> if that's revealed, then you'll be killed by like, you know, whoever whoever now that James Gandolfini is gone, whoever is your go-to sort of like, you know, mafia typecasting guy.
1: Oh, Chaz Palm and Terry, is that no, <laughs> is, he still- I don't
3: know. is he still around?
1: Did Chas Palminteri die? Please, let's not let this be the time where we find that out. <laughs> no. Hold on. Yeah.
2: Ray Liotta. Let's go with Ray Liotta.
1: Okay, Ray Liotta is perfect. Chas Palminteri is still around. He's 61 years old. He's got a lot of good – he's still got a bunch of animated movies left in it, I'm sure. <laughs> so.
2: In thinking about this, like, it sounds like we're all in, in various degrees betrayed by this reveal, right? Yeah. But a part of me is kind of glad that for for a while we were able to believe – <laughs> 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 that, we, that we still retain that sense of wonder and we're completely uh, you know, cynicized by the internet to think that Horsey Books uh, to, for a while that we thought that Horsey Books was actually the ghost in the machine Wow, cynicized
0: Cine- Cine- c- is, is one of the more interesting uh, new words that I've heard recently
2: Oh, did I just make that up on the spot? I probably did.
0: Yeah, but it's 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 made it means made cynical, right? It means that yes. like our natural innocence was was sort of violated and perverted by this terrible forchanic discourse on the internet, uh, so that you can't believe in things anymore, you know.
1: I mean this wasn't forchanic, like this was like bourgeois clickbait stuff right like this was this was more corporate than yes corporate. I, 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 mean, I guess they sorry I, I
0: I had like uh, gone on to the the uh, process of cynicization uh, oh okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the general internet process of cynicization
1: yeah well, because the thing about horse ebooks is that it wasn't always a lie right like at the at the beginning it was true, but for then for years it was a lie. Right, like um and it had it already caught on with people when they decided to buy the thing and use it, or is yeah. that they the ones who created it and made it a, a that's thing? What,
3: and, and you know, and if that's the case, then it makes it really I don't want to say heinous because let's keep things in perspective, but imagine if they're <laughs> actually if course ebooks was a real thing and they basically killed it on purpose, if it really was a spam bot that really was producing these these pieces of poetry and they bought it to shut it down. You know then it becomes like almost like then it becomes like you know, the red like, car it
0: becomes the like the red car in who framed Roger Rabbit you know where judge doom buys this uh useful thing to to shut it down right it
1: belongs in a museum
3: but then and then it's, it's almost like you know one of these BuzzFeed guys you can imagine them just being being hurt by like something that doesn't have like a human intelligence and like a a marketing. A, 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 an underground sort of marketing purpose to it is getting clicks the, and the clicks are being wasted on horsey books. and so like it, 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 the only logical thing to do is like buy it up because like it's going to waste you know in, in their opinion that horse ebooks has no point in existing if it's not like a piece of like you know the the shell game that is the yeah. sort of like you know getting getting clicks for a day and and using those to get more clicks tomorrow
1: And, you know, there's something more cynical. Like, so this, this talking reminds me, it reminds me of the work of uh, J.R. Rodham, the Beluga Heights producer, the hip hop producer who did like Whatcha Say and a bunch of other like contemporary hip hop hits. Uh, and like Rihanna songs, little Kim songs, and whatnot he 's a juilliard trained violinist, uh, I believe or just jazz musician he 's primarily a jazz musician, he worked on a bunch of records and, and one of the things I remember him talking about in one of the interviews that I read with him was about how uh, this was in preparation for a musical Talmud on what you say, which you can still read on the site was that you know, he would he would pick sam- he, he would pick these samples that he felt had already connected with people that people already liked, and it was it would be so much harder as a musician to try to come up with something that it really connected with people and that people liked and so you just are using the knowledge of it having worked as a basis for choosing it right and this is like a sort of the the elemental the the sort of the act of collage that drives buzzfeed but i feel like buzzfeed takes it to an extreme where it's like you know this guy, he sees the thing. He knows that it's popular. He doesn't quite understand how to recapture the lightning in a bottle that made it popular. But instead, he's like, okay, well, I'll just make art off this. I'll like, build on this. I'll evolve this to the next level. Right? Like, and I'll, I'll take this Imogen Heap song where you know, most other Imogen Heap songs don't really resonate with people. But this one was on the OC and everyone loves it. And I'll turn it into a dance hit. Uh, and and, and that will be, that'll be a way of capturing the clicks. Right. Uh, but with BuzzFeed, it's also like there's an act of I've kind of resented because there isn't necessarily a creative act of reinventing and building on the thing other than putting it in the BuzzFeed post, which the first couple of times you see it is a thing. Like It is a creative way of enhancing a bunch of pictures of the Rugrats. Right. Like, I mean, it's not. You know earth shattering, but it's something newish and it's kind of exciting the first couple times you see it, but then you realize it's all that they're doing and it's just funneling the fire hose towards the clickability there's like a lot of wasted opportunity for collage and augmentation right and like and yeah. for and for reinvention there's a lot of like it, when something has social energy like that's an energy that can be diverted or harnessed that can be used to create something new. And by just bilking it for for your own personal profit, literally in ad revenue for advertising, like fricking, you know. Oh no, you get a mortgage refinance with a dancing bird or whatever, you know. Like, you shouldn't get your mortgage finance with Dancing Bird. By the way, it's not. I shouldn't be giving you advice on how to get your mortgage refinance, but Dancing Bird is not the way to go. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you guys, you guys know what I mean. Like, so I mean, we, I think like this connects with the first half of our fifth year anniversary special where we talked a lot about. The way that social media tools shape the way that we describe our lives. And here it is like everyone is chasing the
3: clickability.
1: And I mean we in overthinking it are really bad at this because we kind of – we resent it. We, yeah, we we're
3: probably it. bad at it.
1: We're proudly bad at it. We know that we could we could make a lot more money if we were aggregators rather than generators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and maybe not a lot more money, but also if we like, it was just one person reposting crap. We could you know maybe make a living doing it as opposed to ten people coming up with new stuff all the time, fifteen people, twenty people, thirty people with all the guests that we have and whatnot. So like, we don't really participate in this all that much, although we do Google image search like everybody else. So we are a part of it. But mm-hmm. uh, but like this whole thing of like things are popular and there is a draw towards the popular thing is one of the great drivers. of the creative energy of our day. And the question of what you do with this energy is I think a fundamental question about who you are as an artist. And if you want to talk about like sort of the ethics of sampling, I think you need to get away from the idea of like, well, you should be doing original work and get more in the way of like what are you doing with this challenge that, that is being posed to you by like the revenue model for for web for like attention. You know, like um uh, that's all I got on that rant, guys. Somebody's got to jump in. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I mean I think one of the one of the problems with the with the internet although like maybe maybe it's just one of these things where like it's the problem with everything is that it's so much more profitable to aggregate than to create. I mean, you think about like drudge report, which as far as I know is just basically the front page of the, they just collect links from everywhere and just basically come up with the, with the, a slant on the headline to try to make it as clicky as possible. And they don't, they don't have reporters out there like, you know, burning the shoe leather and like, you know, putting together the, the doing the investigative reporting. And you feel like, you know, the, 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 inexorable sort of weight is falling on like less and less people who have the time and the money to actually make the original content and more and more people who just want like very slick aggregation services that just try to steal, you know, like, like how many news stories that you read on the internet are not the original site that broke the story, but just like Gawker, they, they just come up with like a sort of a, sl- a very short and very sort of like opinionated uh, gloss on somebody else's content
0: so guys we're using yeah. this fifth anniversary as an opportunity to say that that overthinking it is being converted into a snarky link blog <laughs> yeah exactly. uh, about pop culture hey guys miley cyrus am i right miley cyrus are you
1: right click for 50 pictures of it <laughs> I, I love The Onion does great slideshows that mock this phenomenon. One of my favorite ones was uh, 53 worst Buffalo Bills players they just did. <laughs> it's just like, this guy's terrible. <laughs> it's just all of them. Oh, man. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, well, here, because here's the thing. I mean, we're talking about two sides. We're talking, I think we've conflicted ourselves a little bit. Um, and I think it, that's useful because there's a conflict here where when you think about the Chinese restaurants, like you imagine the Chinese restaurant where you order on Foodler, right? You imagine that there are no people and there's just a nomadic tube that brings you the food. It's and yet, it's just Asians
2: of Shield. It's <laughs> just
1: Asians of Shield is what's in there. They're just, oh, they're, they're bringing you yeah. the taco drone is bringing you your tacos. Uh, but when we're thinking about like, you know, media and we're thinking about the things that we do in entertainment reporting and the creation of art, there's this idea that you like need to get rid of all of the people who at the Chinese restaurant are just hidden, right? There's this idea that you've like, there is automation that's, that's taking people out of the process. It's not like there's no automation, but there's this idea that it's totally automation um, when really there's also this backbone of, of I think what it boils down to is like really cheap people. Right, like is that you could pay a link aggregator, somebody can aggregate all your links for you for like pretty cheap relative to what it takes to get somebody to go like you know figure out which color flag was hanging from that plane so they can track the you know the stealer of the Coliseum to the next city and like write a story about it you know like that's expensive, but um but just like writing a vile henchman is on the right you know you're on the right track over and over. I'm sorry, I'm, i, I don't, the podcast is folding in on itself. It's all done and, on it. And, and I
2: don't know where this fits in, but I just want to throw this out there because I know we're gonna be well actually on this if we don't, which is yeah. that BuzzFeed, which we've been credited. For doing this, you know, just scraping and aggregating without doing any um, real content generation of its own is in fact a you know, real content generation of its own. I mean, they're producing like, you know, long form investigative journalism of a, of a sort, which is we all, you know, are prone to think is the antithesis. Of, of Buzzfeed, like the one that I'm thinking of recently, is like this whole uh, sort of great piece about um, using MSG and cooking, and they were like in David Chang's kitchen, you know, talking with him about how he tries to uh, recreate flavors and all this sort of stuff. Like it's, huh. it is total anti Buzzfeed, but they are they're doing that. and the sense that I'm getting is that their '90s list clickbait. Is subsidizing an investigative journalism operation, really? Or, or that yeah. the
0: investigative journal—well, not I'm not sure investigative, but the long-form journalism operation is—and there's a whole like long-form tag on BuzzFeed, and they've hired some legit people there. But like that is, you know, an attempt to legitimize right the the clickbait listicle operation.
1: Yeah, right. Right. I mean, I feel like I mean because we've also had our own stuff on Buzz, because like my I haven't really had ill will towards BuzzFeed until I rejoined Facebook. Because like we used to get our stuff on – I mean we've gotten our stuff on BuzzFeed. I'm sure we'll get it on BuzzFeed again at some point in the future. Like we've gotten our stuff on BuzzFeed. I don't want to straight up antagonize them. But like the way that you experience them through the way that their links are circulated is very different than like actually going to their site and the experience of browsing their site, which is still largely aggregated content but isn't quite as hostily reductive in the way that it communicates this content to you as like the experience of it through Facebook. In particular, I mean, the socially integrated part is feels like the real pneumatic tube of the taco drone or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want. Here's here's the thing. It's like now it's like oh, I'm scared of antagonizing Buzzfeed because I want them to run like the article that I'm going to write on Riddick Two or whatever. Right when I get around to writing articles again, <laughs> and it's like, well, there's 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 more like economy of of link power and whatnot, and you know hierarchies and hegemonic discourses and all
0: that other nonsense speaking speaking of uh, speaking of discourses maybe it's time to uh to look at twitter i put out the call for some uh for some fifth anniversary messages uh you know on twitter before we started the show and here here are a couple and i just wanna i just wanna acknowledge them because you're very nice to write in uh joel who is uh Prawn witch P R A W N W I C H on Twitter says uh thanks for all the fish.
2: Aww. You're welcome. <laughs> uh
0: does that, I don't does that imply that like the earth is about to be
3: destroyed and that <laughs> he's smart enough to get out of here? <laughs>
0: Well, I
1: nice. hope that he's just like That a rope just fell down from the sky He reached up and grabbed it and was lifted up to a hover
3: carrier Or some kind yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Let's see uh, Evan Agent S. Parker S. who is the lone goldfish On Twitter says uh, 47.7 Negative 122.2 uh, Started listening through uh, Zach uh, uh, Zap Jackson's Z-A-P Jackson's guest spot That is Zach Johnson uh, Of Kingdom of Loathing fame Um, guest spot, here's to another five years, thank you very much uh, Evan, Atlas Burke who is J Atlas Burke says thanks for the effort, you guys are probably the podcast I try and fail to recommend the most (laughs) (laughs) try Uh, harder damn it,
1: (laughs) fail harder (laughs) fail better
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brian Lewis who is Dramadary on Twitter says I'm sorry I'm just really sorry I'm not sure what that's in reference to. Um,
2: that was quite horse books like, I gotta yeah. say. I think it means he's gonna kill us, right? Isn't that
1: like he whispers that in our ear before he kills us? Isn't there a fictional character who does that? Who always. Oh, it's the. Um, isn't it the. It's the sorrowful man assassins from Game of Thrones. Uh, right. There are very minor characters in Game of Thrones, so I haven't really spoiled anything. But there's a guild of assassins in Song of Ice and Fire who always whisper, I'm so sorry.
3: You're very apologetic about you. it.
1: They really are. Um, and you know what? Doesn't change anything. Doesn't change a thing. So,
0: never uh, let's see. Joseph Wade, who is J-W-S-A, uh, J-A-Y-D-U-B-S-A on uh, Twitter, says, every, mon- m- uh, every Monday morning for the past five years, the Overthinking Podcast has set the tone for my entire week. Happy Fifth Gang. Thank you very much for that. Uh, TDC, who is Flound of Pesh. Everyone got that? Flound of Pesh on Twitter says about halfway through this uh, this week's podcast and geez, I'll get off your lawn already. <laughs> Thank you very much, these kids in their these kids in their Facebooks.
3: Their lawn encroachments and their rainbow parties. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> deep cut.
3: I never got invited to a single rainbow, although I'm still open to it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to tell your wife I, I G-chat with your wife on a regular basis, Matt and I'm oh, going That's to tell, a
3: different issue entirely right now <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: going to tell her you said that So, uh, if you would like to uh, send some more messages 5th anniversary messages you can, or uh, anything about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or about Horsey Books you can email podcastoverthinkingit.com You can call or text 203-285-6401 uh, We're on Twitter at Overthink it and uh, you can leave a comment on the show notes for this episode this week on overthinking it. There's um, it's amazing we actually have a lot of the week programmed already. This is uh, perhaps the first time in history uh, that that's happened um there are some good articles coming uh we also have I, I mean i don't mean to qualify that as though like you know as opposed to the normal bad articles we run no we have some <laughs> we have some typically good uh articles coming one like uh, uh mark said on uh this show this new show with andre brauer and and annie sandberg and uh and then another one on uh, moments of Top Gun culture. So uh, visit Overthinking It on Monday if you want to know what that. Means Um, We also have the, uh, we're uh, doing week two of the Ender's Game podcast. So the forums are open in the overthinking at forums uh, about uh, for uh, week two, which is chapter seven and eight of Ender's Game. It's very easy to catch up. I ran Ender's Game in one marathon sitting, intending only to read the first six chapters for our first week. I I couldn't help myself. So uh, if you would like to catch up and uh, do the Ender's Game book club in advance of the release, Release of the Ender Gifts Game movie. Uh, week two is coming out this week. And we also have the final Breaking Bad recap uh, that Pete will be hosting on Monday. Pete, any predictions for uh, what the finale of Breaking Bad holds with respect to Walt, Jesse, and the other characters? Predictions. Take it off the headphones.
3: <laughs> Take them off
0: pain <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it, each of the last like three or four episodes has been a gut punch and uh uh right like um some of them very hard gut punches and some of them like very like deep dark and despairing gut punches. So uh yeah, so we're uh, we'll be looking forward to that. We're going to stream that live on Google Hangouts and it'll be available as a YouTube video and as a podcast. Uh afterwards. My goodness, that is a lot of activity, that with the text articles on the site. So thank you for joining us for this. We're agents of OTI this week.
3: (laughs) That's right.
1: (laughs) And Mark is an Asian of OTI. Oh, thanks, Pete. Of course.
0: You know I love you. There's a man who creepy. lives a life of... Uh, so, uh, wow, that, yeah, bu- busy week, but we'll see you on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it, it probably it, it, doesn't I'm deserve. Sure. You are all agents of hobby.
1: Sterns, Bravo!
3: <laughs>
1: no, don't say it, Harvey. Don't give them any more any more promotion for their stupid thing about Brer Stearns, which I'm sure is all about the monetary. He's gonna
3: write a musical about it. You just know he is.